some things. I'm not quite sure the count this morning. I think we had a few more than 86, but uh, that's what's in the record, so we'll use that. And we had at least two visitors this morning. And uh, we are making progress on the plumbing. Ask your continued prayers on that. But uh, we are getting somewhere, and by God's grace, we'll have the plumbing finished this week. We should anyway. Uh, that means we start praying for the inspector. Amen? And so, uh, any other praises to add to the list tonight? Uh, Ms. Frida? Amen. Praise the Lord for his long-suffering toward us. Anybody else have a praise to add to the list? Uh, Brother John? 
Okay, amen. We prayed for his mother last week, and she's doing better now. Yes. Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Linda? Letting us see your hand working on our behalf. We thank you for providing for Brother Ding and the medication that he needs. Lord, we just thank you that you take care of little things as well. We thank you that you give us opportunities to share with others your gospel. We thank you for using each one of us in your service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and turn to 633. 633, Jesus loves even me. Amen. 633. So glad that our Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. loves me. Jesus loves even me. Now, are you really glad that he loves you? I mean, think about it. He didn't have to die on the cross for you. He didn't have to suffer the affliction that he suffered. He could have let us all go to a place called hell, prepare for the devil and his angels, and yet he took upon him the form of human flesh, born in a manger, and lived all his life never sinned once just to be that substitutionary uh, atoning sacrifice for us man what love well we didn't even deserve it can we sing that last chorus like we really mean it if you really do if you don't then don't sing it amen oh if there's only one song i can sing when in his beauty i see the great king this shall my song in eternity be Oh, what a wonder that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Amen. And you may be seated. All right. We'll have our teens dismissed to their class.
And the rest of us, let's open our Bibles. Excuse me there. Open our Bibles to Exodus chapter... Oh, Exodus chapter 25. I found another typo in the outline there. Exodus chapter 25, and we'll start in verse 19. And uh, uh, Joe, that's all. Yes, I'm talking to you, my son. Exodus 25. Let me get my glasses on here so I can make sure I find the right chapter. Let's back that up a little bit. In verse 23, Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. And make thereto a crown of gold round about, and thou shalt make unto it a border of an hand breadth round about, and thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold to put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and the spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table showbread before me alway. Now, we started out two weeks ago with the uh, brazen altar as you came into the entry of the tabernacle. That would be the first thing that you would come to between the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice and the door of the tabernacle was the brazen laver. Once you entered the door of the tabernacle proper, the first thing that you would come to on your right hand would be the table of showbread, which is what we're going to try to look at tonight. And then opposite the table of showbread would be the candlestick directly in front of you would be the golden altar. And behind the golden altar would be the Ark of the Covenant on which was the mercy seat. And someone pointed out that the shape of the furniture that the shape that the furniture made was that of a cross. And uh, because you went in a straight line, brazen altar, laver, table of showbread, candlestick, altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant and Mercy Seat. And so it's kind of interesting there. It, it was just simply a table. It had four legs stood about 27 inches high, 18 inches wide, and 36 inches or two cubits long. The cubit's about 18 inches. Uh, that's not a very big table, but uh, it was uh, big enough for the purpose that God had designed it for. It had four rings and two staves to carry the table. 
So everywhere the tabernacle went, of course, the table went with it. Uh, it was wood, and we said wherever we see wood in the tabernacle, we see the uh, spirit or the person of mankind there. But this was overlaid with gold. When we see gold, we talk about the deity of Christ. And it's interesting that this table was supposed to have a lip or uh, uh, the actual uh, word there was a border of a handbreadth that was be about five, six inches high that went around the table. And then on top of that border, on top of that lip that surrounded the table, it had a crown that was made to it. And uh, then there were dishes and spoons and covers and bowls to cover the bread that was on the table. The showbread was to be set out on the table. And let's turn to Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24. And verse 5, it says, And thou shalt take fine flour and bake twelve cakes thereof. Two tenth deals shall be in one cake. And thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. And thou shalt put pure frankincense upon each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Every Sabbath... He shall set it in order before the Lord continually, being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be Aaron's and his sons, and they shall eat it in the holy place, for it is most holy unto him of the offerings of the Lord made by fire by a perpetual statue. So we have this table that was made out of wood, Everything was covered with gold, all of its units, all of the things, the dishes that held the bread, the spoons, the covers, the bowls to cover, each, all of those were made out of pure gold. It says that each cake was made out of two-tenth deals of flour. Now, we go back to Exodus chapter 16, and if you'll remember when the children of Israel gathered the manna, they were supposed to gather an ephah for each uh, person, and an ephah was a tenth part of, uh, I mean, a omer, I'm sorry, and an omer was a tenth part of an ephah. They tell us that an ephah was about 13 and so pounds of flour. And so with that measurement, it was two tenths of that ephah which would be the amount of flour, twice the amount of flour that a man could eat in a day. So these were not uh, little tiny cakes. I had one guy one time, he was a uh, fellow Bible college student, he tried to tell me that there were posts in the table of showbread and that the showbread was actually the forerunner of the bagel. Uh, the only problem is bagels have leavening agents in them. And showbread doesn't have leaven, and it doesn't talk about any post on the table. 
it, it just goes to show you all the silly things that people will make up if they have the opportunity to do so. Uh, the bread was not going to fall off the table because of the border or the lip and the crown that went around the table. That was eight inches thick. So, I mean, even if these cakes covered the entire table, you would have uh, a cake about, uh, uh, it would be six inches wide and uh, uh, nine inches uh, across the table to cover that entire table with the showbread. That would be about the maximum size, a six by nine cake, uh, probably several inches thick. And uh, that was the bread that the priest would eat with the sacrifice. And we, we look at those simple things and we say, okay, fresh bread, the table is there, uh, we, we're all familiar with the passage. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And if you ever want to make an interesting study, uh, we're not going to take time to do it right now, but good bread is good for your heart. There are things in certain kinds of flour that you just cannot get anywhere else in all of God's nature and, uh, of uh, food that he has provided for us. Bread is a, a, a stay of every diet. Uh, I don't know of any, any people anywhere that does not have some type of bread in, in their diet. And you go into Eastern Europe and you get that real dark, black, heavy bread. Boy, I love that stuff. And uh, you go down south in, in Europe and you get the flat, and into the Middle East, you get the flat pita bread. Uh, I was on the Miccosukee Indian Reservation down in the Florida Everglades traveling with uh, Brother Clayton. And uh, this was before uh, I was married and all of those things. But uh, as we were there, the old Miccosukee chief had become a Christian. In fact, he was a Baptist preacher. And we were in his church. And uh, they said, uh, we're going to have a dinner tonight for all of our visitors. And we want, to, we want you to bring all of the Indian food. They had turtle soup. And uh, I've, had, I've talked to people, oh, I love turtle soup. That, that turtle tasted exactly what I thought it would taste like. Somebody put mud in the bottom of the pot. That's... Uh, I didn't get off on the turtle soup too much. It just was not pleasant. But uh, they had what they called sweet bread. And one of the men sitting at the table, he says, here, try this. And it was just a round little piece of bread about two inches thick, and it was a strange orange color. And it was actually, as I'm thinking about it, it was about the color of the, of the red in my Bible page. And I mean, that was... I'm sitting here looking cross-eyed. He says, oh, just try it one time. No butter, no nothing. One bite, and that whole piece of bread was just gone. I mean, he said, good, isn't it? I said, man, that's the best bread I've ever had. I said, what is it? He said, I can't tell you what it is, but he said, I'll tell you it's why all Indians are fat. And uh, I said, okay, 
Well, I'm glad I'm only going to be here a couple of weeks because if I weren't, I'd be looking just like you, I'll tell you. Uh, and, and he wasn't kidding either. It was, it was good. But, I mean, you go into the jungles, they make bread. They make bread out of all kinds of strange and sundry things. But God said, I want bread on my table. It's to be fresh bread. It's to be put in there every week. On the Sabbath day, the new bread was to be put in order on the table. The old bread was taken off and put in a basket, and that's what the priest would eat with the sacrifice. Now, Jesus said, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Now, I want us to just stop and think about something. Jesus also said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. The priest did not partake of the bread until all the other work was done. The sacrifice had to be offered. The candlestick had to be trimmed. Everything had to be done. Then he would offer the regular sacrifices. The morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice, were whole burnt offerings. There was nothing there for the priest. It was when the people would get in line at the door of the tabernacle with their sacrifices that certain portions of those sacrifices would be given to the priest and that would be his main food. He was allowed to eat of those things and by the way, depending on the sacrifice, the type it was and how it was offered and we'll go through, there was also... Uh, food there for the people offering the sacrifice. So you have to understand that here around the tabernacle, there was always a continual feast going on. One of the rules about sacrificing, when it's God's way, there's always a feast with the sacrifice, with the exception of one. If it's a sin offering, there's no feast. But the other offerings that were made by fire, there was a portion, and that bread was provided for the priest and for his food. This table is called the table in the Bible. It's called the table of showbread. It's called the pure table. Let's look at, if you're still in Leviticus, uh, we read that verse there. It says, Thou shalt set them in two rows, six on a row, upon the pure table before the Lord. Look at Second Chronicles 13 as, as uh, Solomon is putting the temple into place and getting all of those things in order. Verse 11, it says, in the, um, I'm sorry, this is uh, actually uh, the son of Rehoboam is telling Jeroboam, the things that are being done here in verse 11, and they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread is also set in order upon the pure table. But now I want you to turn with me to the book of Malachi. 
of Malachi, in verse 7, God is asking his people Israel, he said, I am your God, where is my worship? In verse 7, he says, Ye offer polluted bread upon my altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. Verse 12, But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this at your, of your hand, saith the Lord. Now the people of Israel, remember the book of Malachi, not only is the last book in our New Testament, it's the last book historically, the temple was rebuilt after Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it. The children of Israel were worshiping there. Nehemiah had come and, and rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem. He was gone at this time. The, he, Ezra had straightened things out. Nehemiah had straightened things out again after Ezra had. Then we have Malachi coming along, and he says, here's what's happened. You said the table of the Lord is contemptible. The work of the Lord providing for these things is a weariness to us. There's also some terminology in the Bible. We'll look at three verses very quickly here. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 3. As Solomon was warning his son, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them upon thy neck. Write them upon the table of thine what? Thine heart. Look at chapter 7, verse 3. It says, bind them upon the fingers, write them upon the table of thine heart. And then turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. In verse 1, the sin of Judah is written with a pen and iron of iron. And with the point of a diamond, it is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. And, uh, of course, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, is one of those famous verses. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And these verses are in here, and what we're trying to do is just paint this picture of what the table was about. The table really, as far as I can see, is a picture of the placement of the working of the word of God in our hearts. The priest could not partake of the bread of the table 
until after he was consecrated as a priest and he had performed the regular duties of the priest, the morning uh, uh, duties, then that bread was to be eaten with the sacrifices during the day, during the course of his regular work. That bread was special. It was holy to the priest. As far as we know, the only time that that bread was profaned or used for a common use was when David came through fleeing from Saul. He stopped to, to see the priest there at Nob and said, Is there anything to eat? He said, We've been fasting for three days. And the priest gave him the showbread that was reserved for their eating. And David and the men that were with him ate that bread. And as far as we know, those were the only ones that ever did other than the priests. If we're going to enjoy this bread that Christ has for us, there is a process to it. How many times do we sit down and try to have our devotions? Anybody ever tried to do that? I'm just going to take some time and we read our Bible and it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just words on a page. Anybody ever been there? Well, if you're going to partake of the bread that's going to sustain you, that's going to keep you going, you got to start at the brazen altar, the death of self. You constantly have to stop at the brazen labor and wash your hands and your feet. You've got to enter into the holy place and make sure the candlestick is trimmed as they would do every morning and every night that the lights never went out, that the incense was offered. Then you were to do your regular sacrifices for the people who were lined up at the door. Then came the nourishment. We must be careful with God's word. Its place is in our hearts, amen? And just like we write God's word upon our heart, I, that we may not sin against God, we can also write evil upon our heart that we may not serve God. We see that back and forth in the scripture. The issue here is the issue of what God's word does in your heart. It's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to sustain you. God's word is not going to protect you unless you're doing the proper work to prepare your heart to receive it. Amen? That's the picture of the table of showbread. It is something that we must do. Sometimes you'll get a disease or something will happen in your digestive system where it stops pulling the nutrients out of the food. And you can literally eat and starve to death at the same time. Uh, I think a lot of Christians have that problem. Is we're putting things through us, but they're not doing us any good. Because we haven't done the preparation work to digest and understand that word and let it do its work. Again, the, the brazen labor. 
you had to have fresh water in the laver. The water had to be replaced constantly. As the priest was working, everything he did was connected. He would put the sacrifice on the altar. He'd wash his hands. He would go to get ready for the next sacrifice. He would wash his hands. If he had to enter into the holy place, he would stop and wash his hands and his feet. As he entered into the holy place, he was constantly putting God's word into his life. But if he was really going to eat and digest it and get strength from it, he was going to have to finish the regular work and spend some serious time in the word of God. You know what? Bible study is not just for the preacher. It's for every child of God. We must spend time. And I'll tell you, our greatest problem is time, is it not? I mean, there are just so many things that must be done and so little time to get them done. But let's follow what the Bible is teaching us here. Let's have time to partake of that bread, to digest God's word, to meditate upon it. So many times we're just trying to keep our head above water. Anybody feel like that? Just trying to keep going. If we'll get that done and then get into the word, It'll make a difference. How many of you have understood a Bible, most Bible verses first time you read them? My hand's not up. I'm just showing you what to do in case you were one of those people. God's word isn't meant to just be read and read and read and read like a newspaper. It's meant to be meditated on. It's meant to be read and, and thought about and, and gone over and over in your mind. The best definition or illustration, I should say, best illustration of meditation is how a cow takes green grass and makes white milk. Amen? They chew the cud. And that is pretty rough stuff. But a cow has four separate stomachs. Into one, sits there a while. Back up, chew it up. Down to number two. And, and that cow repeats that process four different times. And it thoroughly digests that grass until there's almost nothing left. And if you drink good old-fashioned cow's milk, it's going to clog your arteries with cholesterol and send you to an early grave, they say. I had a guy telling me, one time he says, dairy is the most poisonous products on the face of the earth, and just back and forth. And I said, you know, Mr. Carner, there's only one problem with that. He said, what is it? I said, it tastes so good. Amen. Uh, I'm just going to enjoy it until I can't anymore. But we need to enjoy God's word. The cow doesn't produce the milk 
until it's really digested all and, and took all of the nutrients out of that grain or whatever it's good grass that's being fed. This is what the table of showbread is about. It's not something that's going to come to you easily. It's something you're going to have to work at if you're a Christian. And we've said this, and I've said this many times, and people think I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek, but uh, the simple truth is, how many times have you reread and reread and reread the manual on how to operate windows or whatever you do at work? I mean, you're constantly going back and reading that thing over again because you don't get it the first time through. My dad had a book of shop manuals, I mean, three feet deep, because he had to know how to run every machine in his department. He was a machinist, and he would run the lathes and the mills and the chuckers and the screw machines and all of those different things. And, and he would constantly read and reread because he wanted to make sure that he knew his business. And he did. If we treated the Word of God that way, if we read and reread the Word of God, if we constantly consulted it, as people do manuals in everything they do, our understanding of this book would be a little different. First ten times you read through your Bible, you're probably not going to get a whole lot. Second ten times, it's going to start coming together, but you've got you to read through this book 25, 30 times before enough of it sticks that the Holy Spirit can start putting things together. I'll tell you, one of the most wonderful things is being able to read one passage of the Scripture and have the Holy Spirit start bringing into your mind other passages of Scripture that deal with this one passage of Scripture. That's how you use the Bible as a commentary, my friend. But until you get it up there, the Holy Spirit can't bring it down here. Amen? Until you get enough of that word in your system, the Holy Spirit is not going to make the connections. The Bible is just going to remain one of those books that you have to read because you're supposed to as a Christian. There's a lot of effort that goes into this book. But let me tell you, the rewards are absolutely amazing. When we can pick up a Bible and understand what we're reading. God's word will strengthen your heart. Amen? And by the way, we'll just touch on this. It's not really in your outline there. But frankincense, as we see that through the tabernacle, will be a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. And if you want God's word to assimilate, read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You can't understand the things of God except the Holy Spirit gives it to you. But the Holy Spirit's not going to help you understand something you didn't read. Holy Spirit is not going to give you understanding of anything that isn't written down. I don't care how many premonitions Billy, Benny Hinn gets. 
Uh, they're not from the scripture. You want the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Get enough scripture in you that the Holy Spirit can bring it to mind as you read and digest and think on the things of God. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we take this article of furniture, the tabernacle, the table of showbread. And Lord, we ask that you would use us. Lord, that you would help us understand that we're going to need to spend some time. And yet, Lord, you expect us to do our work and everything else. That time, Lord, of meditation can be had even while other things are going on around us. Help us to spend enough time in your word that the Holy Spirit can minister it to our hearts and strengthen us in our service for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we'll just keep our heads bowed. And if you'd like to spend a few moments...